0: A pop, yourself a beer, or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from Brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start with some talking And some movie clips some popcorn, fighting fantasy explorations And some groundless exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching And some blind unboxings Full month horror movie marathon Sometimes I'll let the box come on contest and of course You know it's all about games I said, slow down, let's just start with the name It's the Nerds RPG with the other Jason. Welcome back, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host Jason. We've got a wonderful show for you today: the return of Cody's RPG Reading Corner. Shandy Andy of Unguarded Treasure, B-52's OSE game, review of Bill and Ted Face the Music, listener calls, and that's about it. So, I hope you enjoy the show. Cody's RPG Reading Corner. What I'm going to do for the next few episodes of Cody's RPG Reading Corner is read you the various examples from the 1992 TriTech Systems book, Bureau 13, Stalking the Night Fantastic. Now, this is an evolution of the system a little bit. They haven't changed too many mechanics. Stalking the Night Fantastic originally came out, I want to say, in the 70s. Either late 70s or very early 80s. It's one of the first horror RPGs. And um, it's a pretty fun game. It's pretty crunchy, pretty rules-heavy. But it goes for that kind of lighthearted X-Files vibe. Uh, you, You know what vibe it really catches... Is, was it Ghosted? There was a show that was on last year, I think, that was kind of a comedy X-Files take. It kind of takes that version of it. But this, of course, predates the X-Files, the, the original game does, and it's, you know, more off like Kolchak, and coltrack the Night Stalker, things like that. Anyway, they the examples in this book all follow one agent, Robert Harrison, and then you have other characters, minor characters that come in and out, but it kind of tells a semi-coherent story, so I think it's interesting. So and unless you guys call and tell me to stop, I'm going to, you know, over the next few episodes of The Reading Corner, go through these episodes or go through these examples. So let's get started. As you progress through the ideas and game concepts of Stalking the Night Fantastic, you will meet and get to know one of the agents who hunt the supernatural. The trials and tribulations of Robert Harrison will guide you through the book as an example of how to use game systems. His story begins here. At 38 years of age, Robert Harrison is a well-known science fiction writer, recognized for his Pucan of Mars novels and a gross of short stories. With just a bachelor's degree in English literature from Brown University in Rhode Island, Harrison is a full-time writer who tinkers with old cars, drinks beer, and travels to science fiction conventions for fun, profit, and a free dinner. His involvement with the Bureau 13 team at the 1983 World Science Fiction Convention in Detroit saved a number of lives as he crushed the head of a werewolf with his silver-plated Hugo Award for Best Short Story. While fans thought it was a great costume skit, Harrison knew otherwise and found himself shadowed by a covert organization. To his amazement, he discovered the supernatural was real, and a federal agency called Bureau 13 was out to litigate liquidate its more malignant aspects. For more than a century, the secret group had been founded as a necessary arm of the U.S. Justice Department. Due to a disastrous confrontation a decade earlier, the agency had lost nearly all of its working agents. Now it was desperate for competent and imaginative personnel who could accept the paranormal and effectively deal with it. Harrison was given the choice of joining the agency and keeping quiet or facing the wrath of an IRS audit. Realizing he would never survive the horrors of a tax audit, he joined without a moment's hesitation. In the months that followed, his life was forever changed as he learned more about the organization and the paranormal horrors that quietly hid on the fringes of society. As Robert Harrison turned the lights low and the music from light rock to romantic, the telephone buzzed. "'Uh, hello?' said Harrison. He quickly recognized the telltale electronic chirps and clicks of an unscrambled message and the mechanical voice that delivered it. "'What goes bump in the night?' said the voice. "'Our date is set,' replied Harrison, and he quickly hung up the phone. And our date is off, said Joanna Barnes as she grabbed her coat and slammed out the door. Robert Harrison looked wistfully at the door inside, knowing his life had larger responsibilities and making a mental note to unplug the phone next time. While walking the dark streets of Boston, Robert Harrison crosses it through a dark alley to the 24-hour convenience store. The GM quickly requests a roll of a 20-sided die under Harrison's 13 Supernatural Sensitivity Score. A 16 is rolled. A shadowing, rancid heap leaps out of the doorway to bar his way. It gains surprise. The possible warning feeling failed to materialize. Got half a buck for a bottle of wine, it asks. Failing a wisdom check, Harrison gives the bum a dollar and says, "'Change for a dollar?' Thinking twice, he says, "'Just keep it,' and leaves, failing to notice the feral glint in the old man's eyes. Seeing the werewolf's victim's remains stuffed into a garbage can, Robert Harrison quickly snaps down the lid and staggers to a doorway in the alley. With a mental stability of 66, a D100 is rolled and a 78 results. A point of mental stability fritters away and Harrison begins to regret the anchovy and Italian sausage pizza he had for lunch. At the World Science Fiction Convention, Robert Harrison has just won a Hugo for his novel Pukan and the Pirates of Gamma 4. His standing, which was 15 in the science fiction writer's field, he isn't a Heinlein or a Watt Evans yet, has just shot up to 18. Running up the stage to retrieve his prize, he trips falls flat on his face. As the fans have a good laugh, his standing drops to 17. Little does Harrison know that he's also being stalked by someone in the audience. At first, a dedicated convert to the evil Brotherhood of Darkness, Inc., Brother Johnson has fallen from grace by being an abysmal slob and belching at the high black mass. His modest standing of 12 has been reduced to minus 5 over a period of time, and there is talk of sending him to Vancouver, Canada. He now hopes to raise his standing by doing something insidious that his dark superiors would be proud of. He decides to eliminate a new Bureau 13 agent the evil Brotherhood knows of. He picks Robert Harrison as his target. Will Robert Harrison survive Brother Johnson's nefarious plans? Tune in next time to Cody's RPG Reading Corner to find out. So I'm in the parking lot waiting to go see Bill and Ted face the music. The theater doesn't want you to go in more than half an hour early. But they, they do serve beer, so it, it'll be okay. Anyhow, today I played in Shandy Andy's OSC Wilderlands game. It's pretty fun. Uh, great group of guys there. Shandy Andy made some kind of rookie mistakes using Roll20 and and some GM flaws and flubs that I want to point out. I'm kidding. I'm I'm kidding. Dandy's a great GM, you you know, and he, you know, he's faced with, he's using maps. We're we're playing a published TSR module. And the rooms obviously aren't designed for Roll20, even though he's imported the maps in there. So the room, we have a lot of like angles in the rooms and like, you know, weird designs and stuff. And and so when he's revealing them, using the Fog of War stuff, trying to reveal them, he's, he's, you know, doing his, his best not to reveal anything he shouldn't, but still, you know, go around the walls and all. But he's doing a real good job at it. He he really is. Um, and, and like I said, I really enjoy playing with those guys. I've only got to play this is maybe the third session I played in, but but it's a great group and it's a lot of fun. We we had some some trademark kind of stuff happen to us this time. We were going through this cabinet that had some towels in it, and a spitting cobra jumped out. At us, well, luckily, it didn't manage to hit any, anybody. My barbarian den managed to kill it, and then we went into a room with some Sturges in there, and you know Sturges can be pretty nasty customers. And one of them locked onto Carl Rodriguez's paladin, but luckily, he he was able to well actually, so two of the Sturges, the the one that locked onto Carl Rodriguez, he was able to squeeze it to death and kill it. And after it locked onto him, was already sucking his blood. He just grabbed it with his hands and squeezed it and killed it. And then my barbarian had tried to throw. He has two throwing axes, lightning and thunder. And he he missed. And so he the sturge was coming in trying to get him. It didn't didn't hit him. But since it was you know hovering right there, he managed to grab it out of the air and squeeze it to death as well. And then the others got taken out. We have a one of the players j- just as Robin Hood. I mean really nailing it with the arrows and, you know, hitting like AC minus five and <laughs> AC minus four and doing five points of damage and just, you know, just knocking these sturges, blowing them into little bits of feathers, you know, little puffs of feathers and it was really fun. And then the last room was kind of like a little puzzle room thing and and we had basically an illusionary. Night appear and figured out was finally figured out was an illusion when we couldn't hit it after a couple people rolled in that twenties, but all in all it was, it was a fun session. And Shandy and his great GM, I always love. I only get to play in that every other week. They play weekly, but because my work schedule, I, I can't make every game. But I'm very thankful that he lets me join in because, like I said, I'm a social gamer, and that, you know it's a great group of guys. So, and and that's my gaming for well, that that's my OSE Waterlines game. So I'm going to cut this short and go see Bill and Ted Face the Music, and I'll record another segment later. I guess I can't leave you without giving a review of the movie. Well, I'm a big Bill and Ted fan, and in fact, the week prior to seeing that movie, the new movie, I saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the original, in the theater. I go to the local Alamo Draft House because I like to support them. And I got to tell you, if you got to pick one or the other, I'd I'd watch the original again instead of watch Bill and Ted face the music. It's mainly a nostalgia trip. It's harmless enough, and it's enjoyable enough. It's not like Phantasm Five levels or anything like that. But the last act, the ending, isn't great. I was pretty disappointed in that. But overall, I'm not sad I went and saw it. I, I enjoyed it. There are some interesting things in there. Um, Bridget Lund Payne does a great job as Keanu Reeves' daughter. So they really inhabit that role, and, and whenever Bridget is doing that, you really can see where she's picking up and doing the Keanu mannerisms and speech patterns, and they really do a great job of inhabiting that character, the daughter, and making you flash back and you know, whenever they start doing things and talk and act and move around, it like I say, it really um, invokes the the TED character. Now, Samara Weaving is a, another actress that I really enjoy, and she plays Bill's daughter. And she doesn't—I don't know. Maybe it's because I recognize her from other things that I've seen her in, like The Babysitter and Ready or Not, and and, and Mayhem. Uh, Mayhem's a, a great movie. Um, I, I don't know. So she didn't she didn't work for me as much, and I don't know if it was bad casting. It's like say so I know she's a good act, actress, but. I don't know, she just didn't inhabit the role as well as Bridget inhabited Ted's daughter. So, it maybe it's because I was looking at her and I've seen her in a lot of other things where I haven't really seen Bridget in that many other things. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But, like I say, Samara didn't really invoke that Bill character as much. But they they were both pleasant enough. and And, and they actually take a lot of weight in this movie. One thing I don't like about this movie... And I'm going to give you a spoiler here, so I'll give a spoiler alert, and the spoiler section will probably be about 30 seconds. To be fair, these are pretty minor spoilers, so you could probably listen to them. It won't ruin the movie at all, but I do want to give you the option. So I'll do the spoiler alert, about 30 seconds spoilers, and we'll be back to the podcast spoiler-free. This is a spoiler alert. I repeat, this is a spoiler alert. Okay, thirty seconds is ambitious here. My problem is with a group of historical figures. The daughters go get back to save the day. In the original, we know all the, we know all those historical figures. Here, they get Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong, Mozart, good to go. Ling Lung, a famous historical, apost- apocryphal Chinese flutist, okay, they have a woman play where it was probably a guy, whatever, but then they have a random Chinese cave woman as a drummer. I mean, David Grohl's in the movie. Let him be the famous drummer. Okay, that's enough of that, so no more spoilers. Um, there's also a robot character in there I really don't like, but whatever. All in all, it's a fun movie. I'd watch it at home. I don't think I'd go to theater unless you really want to support your local theater, but I do recommend Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure And Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I think the first two movies are pretty genius. And the third one, unfortunately, kind of rehashes them. So, like I say, it's not Phantasm 5 levels of a way to end a a series. But it's, it's not the strongest in the series. So, with that, let's get on to some listener calls. Who's on the phone? on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke, but by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house.
1: there jason it's john here from the red dice diaries this is my third attempt to send this message anchors being typically grand so i'm keeping my fingers crossed this will go through i'm just listening to your special episode with joe from wheel or woe i'm about a third of the way through it and you're talking about people playing roles in films and how people shouldn't stereotype if in a game they're playing like a particular ethnic group or something like that and i quite agree with it however if someone was going to play let's say i don't know a russian character in one of my games i certainly wouldn't expect them to have read all of the history of that region and have an academic knowledge of that area and its history and its people in order to be able to play a character for a few hours a week let's say in a role-playing game Because at the end of the day, they're just playing a part in a game to have a bit of fun a few hours a week. However, I definitely think doing at least a little bit of research and reading. And like you say, not deliberately trying to hit those obvious stereotypes is a good thing. Anyway, dude, I'm going to get back to listening to the rest of the episode. Take care and I'll catch you soon. And yeah, I'd have to agree with Spencer's calling. to be perfectly honest. I've tried using Discord video and audio and I've never actually found it to be satisfactory. I've always found the performance of it pretty poor. Might just be my computer, but pretty much Every game I've played in has been Zoom or Google Hangouts or something similar to that. I've never really played a game that's been on Discord. But like you say, maybe that's
0: just me and my group of players. Anyway, take it easy. I'll catch you soon. Thank you for the call, John. That was John Allen Large of the Red Dice Diaries RPG Podcast. And, And I think we're on the same sheet of music here, pretty much. I agree. You don't have to do a ton of research into a character. For example, if you're going to play a Zulu character, I don't think I would... Go out and buy a bunch of books on the Zulu, but I would probably read the Wikipedia page, right, and maybe do a little more web search. But for the most part, the big thing is to avoid those harmful stereotypes and and to not fall into character caricature. Maybe I pronounced enunciated all the things there, but I I hopefully I'm get my point across. We we need to you know treat these other cultures respectfully. So, as far as Discord goes, actually. I, I agree with you on a Discord. Sorry, my brain's mushed today. Anchor. Anchor can be difficult. And anybody, you know, John or anybody else, if you want to send me an audio file to play on my show instead of record on Anchor, just send it to nerdsrpgvarietycast at That It's all one word. And I'll, you know, download that file and, and just play it on the podcast so I can do that. As far as... VTTs go. To be honest, we've used the Roll Twenty voice and audio a little bit, or voice and audio, voice and video a little bit. Joe Salvador, Raven Guy Games, has used it a couple times in games I played him with him, and the other Joe, Joe Richter of Hindsightless and Wheeler Woe, has used it for his new Pathfinder campaign. um Although we didn't use video in the Pathfinder one, we and. It works better than it used to, but it's still got some hiccups. I personally do find Zoom is the most stable of everything. But Google Meet seems to be pretty good. Google Meet's a new player on the you know, in the block, but it seems to be pretty good. I know Colin Green over at the Spike Pit RPG podcast has used it pretty successfully. And I just did a test this morning with Joe Salvador and a combination using the video from roll twenty and the audio from a Google Meet meeting, and that seemed to work pretty good. Of course, the huge advantage of using video with Roll20 is people's faces are incorporated right there on the screen that you're actually playing on, so it eliminates the need for mobile monitors, and it eliminates looking back and forth. So, the you know, their face, and so you can catch that facial expression just inches away from the map. So, it really, it, it does help, but if it's not stable, it doesn't help, right? So I think we're still getting there, but I appreciate the call and the feedback, John, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Let's go to the next call. Howdy, partner. Now call's a call, and better late than never.
1: But I'd have to say that I can't keep that up, because really I'm calling for a good practical reason. And the reason is this. Missouri Breaks... It's a film I really love, and I've been thinking about it, and I've been thinking, would it be possible to run that as, uh, as a one-shot, either for one GM, one player, or even as a solo kind of thing? And obviously, I'm thinking that your player is in the Jack Nicholson role, uh, rather than the Marlon Brando role, but... I was wondering if you've got any thoughts about that, and if you'd be willing that I could come on the show and we could talk about it, about turning that into something for a game. What do you think?
0: What a great idea! Thank you. That was Barney, of the local news podcast, and and like I say, it, it's a great idea. I've so I've adapted a number of movies and TV shows in the past, some more successfully than others. I've adapted Captain Kronos. I've adapted the generic idea of like El Dorado or you know pretty much any western where a family has water on their property and the rich rancher tries to take away their water, that kind of thing. Take away their property and their water. Um I've done that in a space cowboy setting. Uh I've done adapted a Japanese samurai film that I can't pronounce for a game of Nudashi which is kind of we we ran kind of like Bushido lite. It worked really well. Um, I, I've done some other ones that, that I've adapted over pretty straightforward adaptations and typically they work well. I find that movies or shows, if you're going to adapt them to an RPG, it's better if your audience is not, or your audience, it's better if you're, is that a Freudian slip? Maybe it's better if your players do not know the property you're adapting, right? So if you're adapting a property, they know, then it. All you can really do is have cameos from the characters they recognize or the locations they recognize. But you can't really do the plot because they know the plot, right? But if you pick a movie they've never seen or a TV, take the plot of a TV show they've never seen and adapt that, then you can—I don't want to say you can railroad them through, but you can kind of railroad them through, you know what I mean? Because they don't know. You can kind of give them the clues and they'll follow them sometimes, and But you can pretty much run with it as it is. But if you tried to adapt, say, Die Hard and didn't change anything, you could do it. But it might be kind of boring for the characters because they pretty much know what's going on already. But if you adapt a movie they haven't seen, say, The Detective, which was kind of the movie they based that character on, the Bruce Wallace character on, then you could might get away with that. The Detective actually stars Frank Sinatra. If you're interested, old blue eyes, but yeah, I've reached out to Barney and we are going to record a session on this. And so stay tuned folks coming soon. The Barney and Jason show. And that's it for the show today. I want to thank Ray Otis for providing the art for this episode. I want to thank TJ Drennan for the music. I want to thank all my callers, and of course, I want to thank you, the listener, because without you, I would still do it, but it'd be a lonely job. Catch you next time. or a joke about by your spouse But the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? In the box? Well the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head And the only question left is if I will see him dead Bring on the gold Bring on the gold And I'm assuming that's your partner back there in the woods, shipping Don't look away, don't look away Don't look away, don't look away Well the zombies are arising and the world has gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck